I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show i mainly stare at the books <laughs> i know uh it's uh it's supposed to sort of stun you into <laughs> well they're all new books though you don't buy used books some of them are um and some of them are like the sort of used that you find at the Strand where it's right, yeah, yeah, it's gone it? through two owners who also, like me, are We're very nice. Did you read the last pilot? I haven't gotten to it yet. I hear it's really good. I did. I liked it a lot. I was surprised at how much I liked it. Mm. The thing is like, it's I have it. It's on the list. <laughs> who knows? And then there's It, which I really, really want to read. Oh, it's, uh, you're, yeah, you've got but, to. Uh, but, I mean, look at the size of that thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it it I, takes a hundred. Well, the thing is that when I look at a book like that, then I say, well, what have I read Anna Karenina yet? I haven't, mm. right? Well, I should read that book. So many, so many, so many damn books. That would make you feel spiritual. So what's yes. the cocktail? Tell me about this cocktail. So the cocktail, um, yeah, that's a that's a good um, way to get into the show here. <laughs> <laughs> this I'm calling the Harvest Manhattan. All right. And it is, um, it's... Jack Daniels and um, a sweet Parisian vermouth um, that I'm forgetting the actual uh, make of. And then also a dark brown sugar syrup and walnut bitters. Oh, walnut. How outstanding. Well, here's to your health. Cheers. Cheers to you, sir. Thank you Thanks much. for coming on our little show. And uh, and it's here. garnished with uh, some chocolate brittle, which um, I, I, I've always wanted to. I've had brittle on top of drinks at a couple oh, times. Oh, that's a really lovely drink. That's really oh, good. I'm glad. It's tasty. Yeah. I like, I like that I'm here as the guy who bullied you into reading one long book by proposing an even worse one. <laughs> <laughs> the, listeners, if you don't know this, so last year uh, when Universal Harvester, which is my second book or third book, depending on whether you count Master of Reality, which is a novella and also is a critical essay masquerading as fiction, um, <laughs> when they invited me on, they, they said, we read whatever you're reading, you come talk about it. And I said, cool, I'm reading this book called Zone by uh, Matthias Ennard. And they said, man, that's a long book. You got to, can you pick something shorter? And I got a heavy attitude in my heart. And I went, no, this is a good book. You need to read this book. <laughs> I'm not going to read some short, read it in our literary fiction MFA kind of thing. I'm not interested in that. And, uh, and, and they said, well, we can't, this book, we don't have time. Because it was like a week to go. So then two weeks ago, uh, before the paperback comes out, they said, hey, the podcast you were going to do last year, they want to know what you're reading. I say, cool, I'm reading Aubrey's Brief Live. <laughs> the, I'm reading an abridgment, and it's like 450 pages, right? The actual thing that exists that I've never seen a copy of, but it's like massive. Yes. The introduction that I just finished the other day is 180 pages. Right? And, uh, <laughs> and it's dry, too. It's not, it's not, there's not a lot, you know, I mean, it's a guy's life, but it's, it's you know, it's written by a, by a, 
by a professor who studies dead people, you know. And sure. however, once you get to the actual book, I sort of want to come back and do Aubrey's brief, brief lives with you at some point because I guarantee once you got to the meat of it, you'd be laughing your ass off. It's really oh. he's quite a spectacular person. This All Aubrey because right. he was not himself a scientist or a writer, but he was around a lot of them. Mm. And he was interested in all of his friends, and he wanted to preserve their names, and and he sort of recognized that a lot of this stuff isn't going to get remembered if somebody doesn't write it down. So he spent his whole life running around talking to people, saying, so who was this, and what did he do, right? He was really interested in, in things that had already been destroyed, because they used old books in those days to wrap fish. Oh, yeah. Right. right? And he would go, oh, well, this guy's whole library that was one of the best libraries in Dorset County... Right. <laughs> was used to wrap fish after he died, but he had these books, and he would list them off. His book is where we get evidence of who knew Shakespeare, right? No um, shit. Yeah, because he knew people who had known Shakespeare, right? And uh, and it's it, super. Not everybody is that person, but all of them are kind of characters because England at that time, it's a pretty crazy place. Oh yeah, I mean it's really a bunch of people just running on ego. <laughs> it's very very strange. So. Well, well, what put it in your in your um purview like how did you come ac- like what made you decide this book because i hadn't even heard of it zone until, or Aubrey's brief lives uh brief lives because that's so that's what we pushed you away from but i'm still curious about it so i had heard of it because i'm a guy who's into those old things you know old books like that and it's kind of a legendary it's a, it's a it's an outlier book he doesn't have other work that anybody reads but because he names so many people and gives these biographical sketches that often have a little tossed off Often side point, you know, mm-hmm. like he liked his oysters boiled or stuff like that, you know, um, that are very, you get a real picture of people who you otherwise don't have a real picture of. Right. right? Um, so, and he's just a known, but, he, but he's a character like that in the sense of, I want to say Lawrence Stern, you know, Lawrence Stern. Oh, yeah, Tristram Tristram Shandy, Shandy, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not one of the major players, but he's got his own corner that's kind of interesting, right? Uh, he's not a Lawrence, Stern's a novelist. Um, but uh, But the thing is, it's a book I found in a used bookstore. Uh-huh. I can see that I spent seven dollars on it someplace, and because uh, <laughs> I tour, go to all the bookstores, and, and I bought it. I started reading the introduction, but I'm kind of a slob, and then I couldn't find it. I remember spending a few days going, "Where did I put my fucking book? Where? <laughs> Damn it! Because I don't want to start another book. I want to read my book. Yeah. And then yeah. you lose a week. You go, and I didn't read anything because I didn't find my book. And you go, well, it's missing. It's missing. Okay, whatever, whatever. Read something else. Whenever that was, a few years ago. I went to, uh, I moved the bed for some reason, or the couch, <laughs> and I found, I said, there's Aubrey's Brief Lives. Well, cool. I'm going to read that book right now. <laughs> nice. So that's, that's what happened. So. Wow. Unfortunately, I was hoping to do book a week mm. for this year, right. but Aubrey got in the way. Aubrey, oh. Aubrey's unbrief, brief lives. Yeah. yeah. This, so this is, uh, this is a, a, the quantum episode of So Many Damn Books. That's the one that's going on on the side. Is that, that's yeah, is, but Enard, as long as he is, once you get going with him, you can go for a while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get much further, um, let's nod to our usual uh, and go to our, what'd you buy? Because I really would like to know. We always talk about what'd you buy, a, a book that you bought recently. So I've been, the thing is, I've been trying not to buy books. Uh, like I, I read at a bookstore last night, I did not buy books. Somebody gave me a Manly Wade Wellman book, which mm-hmm. was cool. Um, uh, but uh, God, what's the last thing I bought? Um, 
oh, <laughs> I can't tell you because I don't talk about what I'm writing, and that would clue you in. So, oh, um, oh okay. nice. That's actually kind of cool, though, because now everyone's just going to be like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, that'll be cool. Go back and search through your tweets for like, some, like, No, nah, I play my cards really close to my chest with this stuff. You know why? Because people, uh, it's just human nature, but if you say, you know... Uh, well, whatever it is you say you're working on, yeah. they will find the ridiculous version. Ask if you're going to do this, right? <laughs> and, you know, if you say if if you say writing about wrestling, if I had said that, yeah, everybody would have uh, been tweeting pictures of Hulk Hogan. What will you be writing a song about this promo, right? right. Like, well, no, I want to do a serious record, you know, I don't, and I don't want jokes in my brain about it when I'm working. So you got to you got to beware because everybody will immediately lurch for the ridiculous. So you have to keep your mouth shut. Cool. In case you're listening to this and you weren't sure. Because we, I don't think we ever said this is John Darnell. My name is John Darnell. I'm a singer from the Mountain Goats. I'm the author of um, Universal Harvester, out in paperback right now. Um, Wolf and White Van before that, and uh, Master of Reality. Christopher, have you bought anything? Oh yeah, um, I, I, you know, I read Infinite Jest a long time ago, and uh, it's. I thought it was time to go back to David Foster Wallace and read. Um, the Pale King, which I'm reading with my girlfriend, actually, uh, which is really fun. And we both have realized that it is not a book you can just read all in one go. Mm. Um, so it's actually been really nice to just read a chapter and not feel like I have to go through this as fast as possible or, or read this at all like a um, traditional novel because it's not. It's, yeah. It was unfinished. My wife was a huge fan of his stuff. I, I don't know it all that well except for the essays, but um, but you know he had like he'd been on the same meds for years, right? And then I think either he wanted to change his medication, I forget the whole story, or it was something where after a lifetime of being on the same meds, your liver or your kidneys are starting to complain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of these psychotropic medicate medi- uh, uh, medications are have all kinds of horrible side effects, right? Um, and you sort of have to make a bargain about what you know what it's worth to you and uh and so he tried to change it up that can be really disastrous for people who have who have found something that works for them yeah and uh and i think he went without for a little while mm. and then tried to get back and he couldn't write the ship and you know it's one of the saddest stories i know because he's like you know one of the better writers of his generation obviously so mm. wait did you say what the last book you bought was oh i have it okay um i for work i had to go do uh, a training from the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. Mm. It's an undoing racism training. It uh, was absolutely fucking revelatory. It was fantastic. I encourage everybody to go look up a local training because it's just worth doing. But one of the things that they said was, you are, each and every person, you are a gatekeeper in some way. Mm. And so use that power for good. And I, they, we were talking about, we ended up talking about translated literature, uh, which is something that I have started to read more and more of because yes, i'm a bully about it <laughs> <laughs> but i i walked out of the training that day and ordered a subscription to transit books they are a new publisher out in i want to say san francisco uh, and they are dedicated to publishing new work in translation 
or work from around the world that has just not gotten a follow. That's cool as hell because there's a couple do have a subscription service. Yeah, they just so that's a big thing, right? There's Archipelago Books. Yeah, those are the people who uh, they sort of hit hit gold with Nausgaard. But they have a bunch of you can subscribe. You get a book a month. When you've been subscribed for a couple years, you go okay, I'm backed up. You know, but (laughs) but Open Letter also in Rochester, which is who uh, Zone is through. Oh, cool. Um, That that's a they do books in translation, and the number of my favorite writers who I've been turned onto by Open Letter. At least two, um, Enard and uh, Merced Rodoreda, and um, uh, uh, Elsa Morante. Um, oh, so. cool. Does um, New Directions have a subscription? Because I don't know. That I they... would jump right on The thing that. is, every every yeah. indie publisher should sure. have a subscription service because there are people like us who will be like, cool, you will make my decisions and I will get the books. And then <laughs> yeah. sometimes, because when one comes at the right time and you go, I'm going to read this right now, mm-hmm. and you never heard of it, then that's a book lover's dream. Right? It's, that's oh, yeah. Best. It's so great. Can we ask you some questions about Harvester? If you must. <laughs> well, can you tell our listeners who uh, what it's about? Uh, uh, I don't really know. I, uh, uh, Universe Harvester is a book about, I mean, uh, well, there's a plot and then there's what it's about, right? So, Because yeah. uh, I think it's about grief and memory. Uh, but it looks at that through the lens of people who live in Iowa, which is a place I lived for seven or eight years. Uh, and I'm from the West Coast, and where I grew up, nobody's from there usually. Wherever you go to school, you discover people are from all over. Mm-hmm. Right? They right. moved here because of the school district or whatever. But people in Iowa where they grew up are often, very often, so many people who have always been there. And if you grew up on the West Coast or in New York or wherever, you automatically, you have you cop this sort of, it's not really an attitude, but you go, oh, well, don't you want to get out of here? You know? Right. And then you realize that's a that's a bias, right? And uh, and and that you haven't probably even considered. Right? I grew up wanting to leave Claremont, not even knowing why, because that's just how Californians kind of are by nature. They're going to go somewhere else, yes. even if it's only up to San Francisco, <laughs> even if it's only down to San Diego or wherever. They're going to leave. Right? Yeah. Right? Everybody talks about all through high school. I'm getting out of here, right? Like you lived in hell or something. You know? <laughs> and so yeah. and you meet people in Iowa. I would take take care of kids when I was working in. Um, uh, uh, adolescent care, you know, and say, what do you want to do? I want to work on the hog lot that's two blocks down from my house, right? That's what I want to do. I want to drive and and, and, and you'd feel yourself wanting to go, well, there's a whole world out there and you go, yeah, but there's also your home. Right. It's mm-hmm. real valuable, right? That's something we who are coastal often don't understand, mm-hmm. right? And then people talk about this politically that like you have to consider the values of home and hearth and what it does to you if you move around a lot, if your roots don't yeah. really... Don't really touch the aquifer right and uh and i noticed this when we'd go to family reunions uh for my wife who grew up in iowa and everybody would talk to me numbingly about where everybody is now Mm. and it's this conversation that i would just be like you guys got to talk about what they're doing you got to not just (laughs) say where they are right i get real anxious and uh and i started writing a little bit to talk about that and I, I sort of immediately noticed, no, it's about something deeper. It's about knowing where people are. It's about understanding your, your environment as a place that supports you through a network of, of knowings and that, that's, and that that's disruptable by grief. And so, but the plot is about a guy who works at a video store and, uh, and people start saying that there's, there have been scenes interpolated onto some tapes that they're returning. So he looks at them and a friend of his who's curious uh, encourages him to try and find out what those are all about. Mm. Hearing you just now, I sort of feel like I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm curious to know if, if, is this frightening? Is this book frightening for you? 
I hope, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, the thing is, so there's a moment, uh, it always feels so weird to talk about your own work as if it were good, because <laughs> it's like, not my style, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. let us there, assure you, it is great. Well, thank you, uh, but there's a moment in the book that I remember writing it and going, oh, that's pretty scary, huh, right? It's like, and it was, there'd already, I already sort of contracted with myself to, to have some scary stuff when I knew there were going to be some scenes on tapes. But if you read the book, you know what the moment is when suddenly there's a pronoun slip. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. And I did that and I was just sort of clicking right along and I wrote my finger slipped and went, oh, that's really scary. That's scary as hell, isn't it? Right. And what's scary about it, the thing is it refers back kind of to my, to work I was doing on Greek tragedy when I was in college about, you know what's scary is identity. Oh, shit. Yeah. What's scary is, 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 suddenly wondering whether you know who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's scary, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's just as if you were talking to me and I let it slip that I had done a prison bid, right? And you go, well, I know a lot about you. I've read your bio and all this stuff. Prison, what were you in prison for? And now I could, it it would completely, you know, I'm not saying you should reject anybody who's been to prison. Prison's a complex complex thing. But learning that about a person, you know, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing to know. If you don't know anything about them, you know, if like, yeah. if I, if I, you know, if I said, well, my friends were talking to me and they said, Nick, I, you know, you were like, Nick, wait, you're John Darnay. I said, oh, yeah, some people call me Nick. Right? You'd be like, I, uh, yeah, what yeah. is that all about, uh, right? What? Identity is terrifying in a lot of ways. And, uh, and, but it, and it has a lot to do with place. And so that's what, that's sort of where, and, but there's a lot of fear in the notion of slipping identity. So that, that's, mm. Me, so. Mm. and, um, I'm, I I couldn't help but feel like Wolf and White Van and this book are somewhat in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. I, in that, I guess you always do that with all of all of an artist's work. It's always my assumption that a subsequent work is in con- is in conversation with the one that precedes. Exactly. It. Yes. And so, in even the, truer in music, I think. Um, in and so in Wolf and White Van, a lot of that um, novel is about collaborative storytelling. Yes. Um, and I, it seemed like that was almost like a blueprint or you teaching us like, this is how you will read my work in the hmm. future is there is a, there's a bit of like, you're going to fill in some blanks in, in universal harvest. Well, I mean, that's one thing I do believe in is, is leaving space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I like. I mean, it's like, but part of that's rhythmic that like the way I write where if I come to the end of a scene and I do a double line break, I like it to have a musical feel of conclusion, but I also want I have that desire to have while sequencing a record to make somebody go, oh, I can't, I, I have to get to the next one. You mm-hmm. know? So yeah. you have that, or like with a serial, with an old serial where you get a cliffhanger going, you know, it's like I really believe in in those sorts of cesura and pausings. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Wolf and White Van is a more pyrotechnic book. It's mm-hmm. like really the, the language in it is so inside a single person's head in that way. I like this book better, but it, but it doesn't. Uh, it, it it's not uh, it's not quite as well. One reason I like this book better is with Little White Van. It's like every sentence is trying to make sure you you hear every word that happens. It's like it's very raw mm-hmm. in this way. This book is more about the story. There's not as much story in Wolf and White Van. There's, mm-hmm. there's, right. there's, there's the there's the presence of this character and right, the right. stories he tells. This has a plot. It has several plots, right? That have to agree with each other. And that for me was the most fun of it. Was like making it work because it was like really. You know, structurally, Wolf and White Man goes backwards. It does that, but this, like this, involved multiple plot lines having to intersect and meet each other, and that was super exciting for me. Mm. Yeah. There's a moment in the book where you you write something along the lines of some versions of this story go this way, and, yeah, 
was that were we seeing there's a couple moments on that yeah playing out like was that did you write those other versions and then you went with this one no no that was the that was the voice of the narrator speaking mm-hmm. uh, and it's a signal to the reader i mean one it's a little bit of a metafictional uh right. trick because one one of the writers i like a lot is uh Aline rob grier mm-hmm. um a guy i almost threw at you his, <laughs> his books are short and then you'll be like i've never read a longer hundred page book than that. <laughs> uh, he's a huge favorite of mine but if i had given you god what's that book jealousy uh Jealousy? No, that don't. You're writing that one down, but don't. Okay, all right. That's not the one to start with. It's the one I started with. But uh, Jealousy is a book that is written by a narrator who never refers to himself in the first person. Mm. Now you know that that actually has some similarities with my book. But the thing about him doing it is that the story he's telling, he has removed himself from every every scene. So you have to understand mm. that when there's a shadow in the scene, that's a person that you didn't know was even there. He's Whoa. erasing himself because he's being cuckolded. His wife is having an affair. And, uh, and uh, it's, if you don't read the back of the book, you wouldn't even get that. Wow. You will wow. not get it. It's, whereas his other books, uh, you know, uh, if you read uh, the Maison de Rendezvous or uh, Repetition, his last one, um, you know, those, those have enough action to, 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 to keep you going. But um, the other thing is it's not just modern 19th century books do this kind of thing a lot. Mm-hmm. Dickens, Stern, Samuel Johnson, uh, or Samuel Butler, rather, um, you know, do this sort of thing where they'll say, well, you know, what some people say, right? Yeah. A very old folktale thing. Some people say this, and I've always really liked that, you know, because it, it lets everybody know that, that we all know these are stories. We're all having fun, you know, and that people have always told their stories that way. It's not something actually that we invented after the 50s. It's like people have always gone, you know, well, who knows what happened to him? And Dickens, especially at the end of his books, and Peter Carey, oh, yeah. Peter Carey does this kind of thing in Jack Maggs when he picks up a Dick- Dickensian thread. He said, you know, he said, well, I c- it pains me to tell you that I don't know what became of this guy. Right. Well, of course you do. You, he only exists in your brain. Yeah. But it's fun to say, I don't know. Right. That there's rumors. And I, I was looking at that old way of telling stories where you sort of, you know, have a have a shared fiction about the reality that you're just describing. So. It's fun to think about those older authors too, because I was really thinking about Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events. Sure, yeah, yeah. And Hitchcock, when he was doing Hitchcock Presents, and the way he'd sort of be like, "Some people out in the cornfields might be screaming." Yeah, and then yeah, he's yeah. Like, yeah, what yeah. the fuck are you talking about? And then he's like, "But over here," and you're like, "What about the people screaming?" Well, Hitchcock's trailers is too like are very like that where he talks. He does. If you've seen the Psycho trailer from back when, when he walks through the house, and says, yeah, and this is the bathroom. It's it's terrible. I, we we should move along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's really great. It's like you know, it's it's sort of uh, you know, it lets the writer have the fun of reading to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. I, I guess I'm stuck on Wolf and White Van in some ways because there's an underpinning philosophy of the imp of the perverse. Um, oh. This idea that like this, there's that voice that says like, well, what if you just jumped on the tracks or what, yeah, you know, like what if you push that guy? Well, yeah, um, yeah. And there's that in in Wolf and White Van, and it but it made me curious, and it and that really uh, that idea informed my reading of it. I was curious if you had like an underpinning philosophy of Universal Harvester that you were sort of poking at. So no, I mean I don't. That's 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 a super nineteenth century idea that you're espousing a philosophy by telling a story. I mean I I come at it with a story. I trust what I think to arise from the story. I write. Mm. I've said this. This sound like a, a shtick now, but I I write more to find out what I think than I do to express what I have thought. 
right? Uh, mm. So when I tell a story, I can look at it later and see what I thought, right? Uh, here's an example of this. is There's a Mountain Goat song called Sax Romer Number 2, right? I think mm-hmm. it is. might be number one. Uh, I forget which version wound up being the template. But, but I wrote this song, and we took it to the studio. Franklin Bruno plays on it. Franklin is a very sophisticated reader of texts, right? And I commented, which song was he pairing it with? Another song on the album. And I said, well, it's kind of, you know, old school song, and it's just a bunch of tropes, you know, stacked up against each other. And he said, no, this is a song about touring. Mm-hmm. And I said, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's, it's, it's just a bunch of pulp tropes that wind up with a chorus that sounds... He said, no, these are all... It, it, he, he he said, oh, I, I assumed that this one was about making a was about touring this other one's about writing an album right and i looked at it and i said oh well, yeah you know, <laughs> because i because i trust that process that's what the creative process is about is making stuff that comes from inside you right but it's not necessarily didactic it's not necessarily something you sit down and say well i will now express this notion right mm-hmm, i right. don't do that right i i intentionally don't do that midway through the book you start to understand what you're talking about Right, and then you start to shape the story a little bit in that direction. But I try to resist that moment as long as I can. Right, um, with Wolf of White Van, I had really no. I mean, to this day, I'm not quite. I mean, I think it's about. It's about the breadth of the space inside your head, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. and about how we all think that all that must be safe because it's mine. Mm-hmm. Right? But it, we know. But those of us who've struggled in some ways know that it's not. Mm-hmm. Right? Know that you, you know, and I think. Culturally, we tell ourselves, you know, that there's something repressive about not allowing yourself to have some thoughts. But then some of us know, no, I, I can't be thinking about that kind of thing. I mm-hmm. can't do that. It will go bad places. Right? Mm-hmm. And and I think the gulf between people who get that and people who don't is pretty wide. <laughs> it's like I don't think people on the one side can quite understand. I don't have the liberty of thinking about that, and I don't want that liberty. Right? Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, and so I think that is partly thematically. But I just discovered that by writing a chapter where, at the end of it, a guy shoots himself in the face, and then just trying to figure out what happens from there. Mm-hmm. So that was the first chapter I wrote of the book. So. Oh, cool! Interesting. Wow. Um, Spoiler alert: <laughs> He shoots himself in the face. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> if knowing that information spoils your reading of the book, like I don't think then you miss the whole. Yeah, point. you, you miss the, the whole point of the book. The thing You're is, I miss the whole thing. The whole idea of spoiler alerts is those are there for books that are based on big surprises. There are reveals in Wolf and White Man, but I don't. I'm intentionally we're like dancing around the subject of of narrators in Universal Harvester. I don't want to reveal that. Yeah. Right. That's a that's a for real surprise that when it comes to you, it recontextualizes what you read before. If you don't understand by the end of the first chapter of Wolf and White Van that this guy has in some way disfigured his face very severely, then you're not reading very closely. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the space inside people's heads. Uh-huh. Uh oh yeah. I mean that's a nice pivot to zone. Yeah. Yes. Which holy fuck this book. It's so fucking great. You finished it? I did. Yeah. It it's it, so why didn't it get more attention in the American press when it's such a fucking masterpiece? I mean, who like there is this nice thing now that the National Book Awards is going to be doing uh, awards I'm for so literature stoked translation. About that. Yeah, yeah. So like books like this might achieve a wider the audience. The thing is with works in translation is they have to either be now scarred or they don't exist. Yeah. Right? It's like either they blow up or only us geeks are into them. Right? <laughs> but like that book, it was a huge splash in Germany. The rest of the world reads a lot of literature in translation. It's kind of embarrassing how Americans have this weird idea like, well, if I'm not reading the original language, I'm missing something. You know, it's a very weird concept. Yeah. But 
but uh, but yeah, I mean, like once you lock into this book, it's a joyride. <laughs> it's like wild stuff. We uh, we've mentioned the title and the author a couple of times, but in case you missed it, it's Matthias Ennard's Zone, um, and it's translated by Charlotte Mandel. Charlotte Mandel, who I follow on Twitter, and I get all excited when I get a, a response from her. <laughs> she's really good. I've I've read some other stuff of hers. I can't call it to name right away, but she's busy. She translators work all the time. I don't think they make that much money. No, yeah. uh, but they work all. The, and I, what must that? I mean, it feels like the coolest job to be able to take us and because you're both flexing your own creative muscles yeah and you are trying to but not that much yeah (laughs) it's like like you you gotta find that right yeah there was a thing in the new yorker recently about um the woman i'm forgetting her name i could try to pull it off the shelf who translated uh han kang's two novels well and this is the whole thing about translators you know the u.s in particular we don't put translators on the cover you know we really try to hide the fact that it was ever a foreign because people have it's so it's magic weird thinking this i mean but you know that that uh that americans think this and have thought this from way back when i think thomas jefferson tried to or ben franklin tried to make a bible that and there's a translation of the bible uh, sorry that's different than sayings of jesus one but but there's a thing called young's literal translation that wanted to try and render a literal rendition of every uh, word in the Bible, so it's, it's very, oh. it's magical wow. thinking, right? It's like this this idea <laughs> that language in its original expression holds some truth that you can't get from it otherwise, right. which is nonsense, right? I mean, it's like you, a translator gives you something you couldn't otherwise read, and you do get it. You don't get the exact same thing because you can't because it's in a different language, but you do get the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's a great mystery, and uh, and it's beautiful, right? But people have this this idea that, like, you know, I mean, it's very. It seems almost mob like. If I don't hear it from you, then I don't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's the idea that Stephen King writes about in On Writing when he says, like, okay, I'm imagining a table cloth over a table in a room, and it's red, and imagine like yeah. that coming back out, and it's like you know, through the translation, it's like no longer a table, it's a side table and it's like a maroon yeah, yeah. tablecloth. I think that's what people really worry about as though that changes anything other than like the small, like flat details that don't actually um, influence the story. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a uh, Parekh and there's somebody else, Christopher, you were talking about them earlier who they, this idea of like, they wrote a novel without E. Parekh oh, is called right. Avoid. Oh right, um, uh, Ga- Gadsby, the novel uh, without an E. And so, like uh, that in translation, that's a whole thing. You right. because then if you're translating it from French into English, and you still have to not have E's, but you're trying, yeah. it's like oh boy. So the gimmick of of this the uh, of zone is that it's a single sentence, right? Right. Now it's not really a single sentence; it's just comma splices, right? It's not it's not a single grammatical sentence, and there is in fact one chapter that's from a book that the guy is reading, where suddenly right. there's periods, and they're like they're seriously like you know being blinded by the sun when they happen, and you don't <laughs> yeah. see them coming, right? And like even if I tell you now, you won't know, and you'll be like, wait, wait, wait. The sentence ended, right? Yeah. Because you know? otherwise, it's a guy on a train who's going to resign from the job he works, um, and uh, and and he's just reflecting on his work and on the entire history of the world. Right? Yeah. Uh, as he goes, like there's stuff I, I didn't know anything about the Battle of Lepanto. Did you know about that before mm-hmm. you read this? But it's a big deal in world history. Like the Battle of Lepanto was one of the most savage things that had ever happened. Yeah. In the ancient world, and uh, and reading Aubrey's Brief Lives, they knew all about it. It was a big thing that had right. happened, like where so many had died. And uh, 
and but yeah, he accounts all these atrocities. The way that it captures rhythm and it captures better than any other stream of consciousness novel I've ever read. It captures the way your brain works, where yeah. you just all of these well, thoughts are just Yeah, but they do have a theme. Is that that's the beauty of the writing here is like but it's not just it's not a memoir. It's not a guy right. saying, Here's all the stuff inside my brain, you make sense of it. Right. It's yeah. like no, it's it's very organized because it's a character. It's right. like there is this is all actually painting a picture for you of the guy remembering this stuff as the train moves along. So, but does, is then, is the single sentence then, is it a stunt, like writing a novel without an E, or does, is it just a stylized, like, uh, maximalism? Well, I mean, I want to I wanna say that I'm always suspicious of the word just, you know, because when, <laughs> sure. when you set a, a, a limitation for yourself like that, like, is a sonnet just 14 lines with a rhyme scheme, mm. Or is it a structure inside which you can build something amazing that whose whose limitations help it to grow into its own shape? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think this is, is like, well, you know, you wouldn't get to know this character the way that you do. You can't know the same things you know about him uh, in a traditional narrative. Right? I think he picks a different form uh, uh, to allow himself to to allow himself to show you this guy in a way that you couldn't see him in other ways. It is definitely a stunt, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think stunts are good. Yeah. If uh, you know, I mean, it's like that's a that that that's a bias. Is like you know, I, I don't think this book is as good if it's just a well, just right. If it's just a story, you know, where you tell the story of a guy on a train and so forth. You have to be inside his brain. You have to to see how 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 ugly it is in there. You know, right. In that way, it's like one of my favorite books, William Gass's The Tunnel, right? Which does the same sort of thing in a different way. You are inside of William Kohler's head the entire time, right? But gas is much more wide-ranging, and you get more of a picture of his daily life, whereas this guy is a spy, so you don't get to know all that much about him. You can never really trust him. Yeah. Uh, like, well, yeah, he's master of hiding. He's hiding things from his, himself yeah, at yeah. the same time as he's hiding things from you yeah. as well. No, yeah. it's amazing. It's, he's letting stuff slip. It's. Uh, I just love this book so much. Um, can you... Can you talk more? I mean, like I, 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 like like I was saying earlier, uh, hypnosis. That's that was my. Um, and there's like the yeah. Hypnosis when you read it out loud, a, that happens really oh, heavy. Yeah. Yeah. You really notice that because like, he is on a train, which has its own type of hypnosis. He's spinning through his mind, yeah. um, feeling guilt and trepidation and sadness over what his career has been. And the, I mean, like, there's so many ways of hypnosis working on you. Um, you know, I guess like a single sentence is a great way to yeah, yeah. To, to engender that. It's about auto-hypnosis, right? Because he's also, mm-hmm. he wants to, you know, when he talks about his drinking, you know, he talks about drinking very, very heavily and you become really conscious of the fact that he does not want to have to be in his head. The self he has built is not a place he wants to live in, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, right. He wishes he was asleep for this train ride. Yeah. He's like, I wish I could go to sleep, but well, here he, I am. I'm on amphetamines. That's right. He's, <laughs> he didn't even want to be on the train. He missed his flight. <laughs> yeah, missed that's his right. Flight. He missed the flight. That's why it happens, because he missed the flight. Um, so, yeah, it's wild. Um, and it takes place in the 90s, too, which that's is... That's right. Um, yeah. It's, it's something interesting, because I don't know what it is about maybe... It, 
the just the way it's told and also the way it jumps around in time but it it was important for me to rem- keep remembering like no he's in the mid 90s one thing that's important about that is when i mean like i'm going to be really harsh to americans here but like you know, if i see the 90s you go oh yeah smash mouth right <laughs> like, you know or whatever <laughs> right but to people from the eastern bloc right serbia herzegovina right uh, like very intense times right of sure. war and atrocity right if i say the 90s atrocity is not going to be the first, you know, like the atrocities minds. of war will right. not be the first thing you'll be thinking of. Right. Because you have your own cultural bias, right? But for Europeans, I remember in 95 being on tour and Germans taking me to task as an American visiting um, uh, Holocaust sites and people saying, you know, the same sort of thing is happening right now and you guys are the only ones who could really do anything about it, you know, and and, and you guys even know it's happening. Right. right. Uh, and uh, And I was like... What <laughs> you know, and uh, and it was true. You know, it's like uh, the, the the stuff that was going on over there was just. He sketches some of it so brutally and and just anecdotally, right? Right. Uh, the, the breadth of the scale of what was going on was huge, and and yeah, it, it really it's it's a it's it's the nineties that more people lived through than the one that we remember as the nineties, right? right. This book made me think a lot of. I went on a Camus kick in college and it made me think a lot of the fall and how you know something is up. You know you shouldn't trust this guy. He tells you not to trust him and yet you are sort of pulled in. Whether it is by this hypnosis thing or, I mean, I was, I will admit, I was, I think I can safely say charmed by him when he would just be like, I'm going to talk about Malcolm Lowry and Under the Volcano. I'm going to talk about Isadora Duncan and you're like, I know that stuff. I can converse with you about this stuff. And then he's like, and by the way, I maybe did some bad shit in the Yeah, Eastern he never block. really cops to too many of the things he did, right? Yeah. Uh, which is so interesting yeah, because you, uh, you begin to get the impression you were present. Yeah, bad right? things have happened and you might have done that. You were there for yeah. some of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's, it's interesting. In, in the tunnel, William Kohler uh, was an American soldier in Germany and the signal moment of his life in many ways is that he was there on Kristallnacht. Right, mm. and he threw a brick through a window, right, right, and he just did it because he was caught up in the moment of the riot. Everybody right. was throwing bricks through, so he threw a brick through a window, right. And uh, and what's that mean about you? You know what 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 else might you have done? And and with this guy, it's like that. If that's all this guy had done, there'd be no book. Like, whatever <laughs> this guy has done is horrible stuff that he has to be in a constant state of inebriation to not be living through. Yeah. Did did um did it make you either of you? I mean, we're all. S- writers in this room mm-hmm. um did it make you want to write some long sentences and and see what, what comes out of like if you don't stop your sentence i mean for me i'm always wanting to resist writing like the people i'm reading it's one reason that like when i was younger i wouldn't listen to bob dylan at all because right. I knew every, every songwriter who listens to him winds up trying to do fake dylan and i noticed when i was like before the mountain goats happened a year or two before if i'd been listening to leonard cohen you wind up writing fake leonard cohen and it's mm. not going to be as good right, right. Uh, so and there's writers like i've never read kerouac precisely because i know that right. when you read kerouac it gets inside you you know so i'll just hear about it from other people <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you i mean it what it made me want to write is a uh, a single like a single take conversation on a train Right. Which actually, like, that ties back into somebody like Highsmith and Strangers on a Train. Like, I love trains. I love the idea of being trapped in a space, but that space is moving, and yeah. you are going from one place to another. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just, it's different from a plane. Yeah. It's like, you are passing the country, and yet you are sitting there having a conversation, and it just, to me, 
reading this, I was like, man, I want to put somebody in conversation with this dude. I want like the person yeah, next yeah. to him who is reading the gossip magazine. Yeah, but he that, says that stuff is about not wanting the people to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. That was what I kept. That's that was something I, uh, I guess claustrophobic or something that yeah. that that it made me feel. I really wanted another voice in there. I wanted something. Well, like you that. know the three conflicts they talk to you about in high school English, right? Like man versus nature, man versus himself, and man versus man. Right? Mm-hmm. This is man versus himself. He can't. Other people can't really. You know. They're not on the same planet as this guy. Mm. They're not, they can't. And this is true. Um, you know, I'll tell you a story when, um, like, I've never talked at great length about all the stuff that I did when I was a junkie, but I've done a lot of stuff that for most people would be deal breaker stuff. If you knew it about me, you know, it's like, not not today, but it's like, it's stuff you don't disclose to everybody. Right. right? And, uh, but when I was 19 or 20, I guess when I was 20, I went back to therapy and I was in individual therapy for a while. And uh, and my therapist said, you know, I, want, I would like you to be in a group. I think group therapy would be good for you. but And I want to encourage you to talk about whatever you want to talk about when you get there. But try to bear in mind that your life experiences, I'll always remember the way you put it, have been rich, right? Mm. And many people can't really understand them Right, and they will have reactions to hearing stories say about sharing needles in bathhouses. Right? Yeah. That's something that when I tell you I do that, right, not in the present day, like that makes that frames me for a number of people as right. a certain type of fellow, right? And uh, and and this is true of this narrator is like, who can he talk to? He can't talk to anybody. Yeah, it's like there's a moment where he goes, he goes back to the bar and i feel like the first time he goes to the bar we don't really see it right yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he goes back to the bar and there's one chapter as the chapters are getting shorter and shorter right. as he's getting yeah, closer yeah, yeah. and closer to rome and there's one chapter and there's a i think there is a moment where the bartender is like says something to him and he just glazes over yeah, yeah, just yeah. like he i gotta down. get it back to my seat <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. has it related to? I mean, the thing is, <laughs> you, you get that often if you're going through some stuff, you know, where it's like somebody makes up a casual conversation and you go, "Yeah, no, I, I can't tell you how I am." Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, I can't. Yeah. That's not small talk. That's for not. Me. <laughs> yeah. There is no. There is no fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, for where he sits. lot more research with this book than yeah, yeah. I, I I like to look things up and I like to discover stuff but this for everything that I got off the top of my head there were probably two or three things that I had to think about looking up and then there are probably two or three that I didn't even realize See, I just I was those missing. contexts wa- the wash over me and he gave you some context of the things that you so I kind of wanted to be in the head and know just what and Ard wanted me to know yeah. What, oh, what yeah. He knew. Well, it's such a performance that it's like easy to stop thinking as you write and just be and just be dazzled. It's like so. I mean, seriously, I think it's one of the best books I've read in the past ten or twenty years. Mm. So, oh, actually, that's that's a good way to move oh, towards yeah. is um because I don't I don't know if I would actually recommend this book to everybody. Oh, God, I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I I know you seem to be. No, uh, I, I I'm saying that, but actually, every time people ask me about, it, I say, well, look, it's really like with the tunnel. It's like, do you really want to? do that to yourself right is this so um i guess who would you recommend this book to um people looking for a good time (laughs) (laughs) do you like gone girl boy i've got a book for you oh my god (laughs) i mean the thing is why do you read yeah why do you read right and like this is why you know it's why mfa fiction has become something you dismiss is like you know i don't read to watch somebody have an epiphany 
a character that I didn't know to watch him have an epiphany about something. I want to be challenged when I read. I want to feel adrift. I want to be growing when I read because I'm not going to be the perfect reader before I die. Right? Mm. Uh, I want to know more than I knew before I came to the book. Right? Mm-hmm. Not always. I like some other. You know, I read a lot of detective fiction. You know, uh, but uh, but but yeah. I mean, I want to learn stuff. You know, and uh, not not just physical facts, but other ways of looking at things. Mm-hmm. You know, other ways of thinking about books. Yeah. And, yeah. And and that's that's the thing. People who are interested in books and the various ways to do books. Yeah. You should definitely read this book. That's a that's a good oh, point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah, I'm glad that I read Georges Perec's Life of Users Manual. I would not recommend that book to anyone. <laughs> mm. But also, if you want to experience a way to do a book that no one else has maybe ever done, you know, check it out. What is the gimmick on that one? It is an apartment block, a single moment, a single second in an apartment block, and he moves in sort of this weird uh, spiral pattern through the apartment block through the rooms in the apartments and he's just capturing this single moment. And so like oh, there's wild. a chapter yeah. that is just a list of everything in a pantry and it's eight pages. Yeah. yeah, It's yeah. just a list of everything in a pantry. And you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? The tunnel is like that, but suffused with hatred. <laughs> it's like, cause gas loves lists. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's narrated by this guy who just has a burning, burning, abiding hatred for everything and everybody. So. <laughs> do we want to put some stamps on this? Let's, and, and actually we do our recommendations. Recommend a couple of other recommend, things? Sure. Recommendations. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. I'll start. I have two. Okay. That that are books that I was thinking about the whole time I was reading Zone. Yeah. Uh, one I've kind of already mentioned. It's Camus, The Fall. Right. Um, which I I went back to. Speaking of used books, I found a beautiful old copy of it recently, and uh, I I really loved that book in college. That is the one. It's not The Stranger. It's not Myth of Sisyphus. That was the one that I was like, I understand the world differently now. And reading it again, I was like, shit, I understand the world differently again. Right. Um. But it's it's a tightly wound. You're inside a person's head having a conversation at a bar, and by the end of it, you're like, "You did some bad, bad stuff." Uh, the flip side of that is Muriel Sparks, The Driver's Seat, which is 80 pages. A woman on the last day of her life in an unnamed European city, heading towards a death that Spark reveals very early on. She's like, "The police would be asking about this interaction." Uh, after they found her body but and you're like oh sorry what right and you just watch this woman head towards a death that she is actively seeking and it's again just you know both of these the uh the camus and the sparks are both short and so if you if you come out of zone and you're like i want to stay in this sort of mindset but i want a palate cleanser mm. either of those for me would do the trick they mm. did do the trick because now I feel like I can go read other things without still being like, I'm still on that train. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to recommend something, or you want me to recommend? Um, something? I mean, the tunnel is the is the is the one I think most about, where it's a living inside a person's head. I mean, the 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 big difference is that in the tunnel, you learn about Coler's childhood, you know, the various things that made him the way he is. Whereas this book is very aggressively not that. This mm-hmm. book is like, look, it doesn't matter. 
there's a bigger picture than the individual in this book, whereas, you know, the tunnel's by an American, and Americans are very into individuals, right? And so, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the other one is Thucydides, the Greek historian, right, uh, who's trying to convey to you the glory and the horror of battle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the glories we have interrogated very sharply and for, for the better in, in recent ages, but, but these Greek historians understood how bad uh, it is to be at war, right? Mm-hmm. They, they knew that the cost of war is is a piece of your humanity, and Thucydides is, is pretty uh, pretty, uh, pretty good on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Christopher? Um, I'm going to recommend the book that I uh, read after Zone, which was very different, very different on purpose, um, which I, I was, it was my birthday recently, and my parents gave me the new... Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, uh, I was given the re-releases of Beverly Cleary's first four books oh, of wow. Henry Huggins. <laughs> cool. Um, they just re-released the, them with the original covers and the original drawings cool. um, by Lewis Darling. And they're very cool. And um, I read I read Henry Huggins in a, in a sitting and it was, I, I mean, I, I remembered reading it as a kid and um, it was amazing to sort of think about like how I thought about it as a child and how I think about it now. But just like the way his his parents are great, they're so supportive of of this kid, and they and they love their son so much in a way that I don't know. Like I don't, I didn't expect that from the sort of parenting style that I think of for that time period versus yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. they're they're so like he's trying to earn enough money by um, grabbing worms for someone <laughs> to go um, fishing, and he gets a penny a worm. Right. And he's trying to make get 1500 worms to 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 buy a football because he lost it in someone's car and his parents come out and they're like what are you doing and he explains his predicament and they're like okay we'll help and so he and his parent his mom and dad are all like searching through the yard for these worms and it's such a great there's i love that that that's your stamp for this because like this book is like you know there's no that there's no moment remotely like that in the whole book. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a much more realistic book. <laughs> it's, it, it's yeah, it's a, it's it was a really strange like going from this very heady like very really, and it was to the point of like I finished Zone and I was like I put that down, and then I was like okay, something else. <laughs> yeah, no, something I, something much nicer now, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I highly highly recommend Henry Huggins by Beverly Cleary. Um, also picking up these cool they they released four of them cool um, the thing did you read the note at the end the last mm-hmm. and that's the part of zone that is the most intense thing to me is like you read it and you there's so much history that you probably don't know unless you are a history master oh, right yeah. you have a master's in history you might have encountered a lot of this stuff much of it was news to me right and and I consider myself you know, I have a decent education and and the list of people he thanks you know that he uh, that he read and like you know um and finally he says, you know, uh, and to Claro, who along with Friendship, Shelter, and Food, offered me the two pages of the Discovered Journal by Franz Sebois, who is that piece that I just happened mm-hmm. to grab. It's like all the stuff in here it is a vast effort of scholarship oh, yeah. concentrated into a story. And it's so hard to, to talk about what the book's about. It's an experience, but the experience is very focused. It's like I, I would take a class on this book. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could oh, see this. I think it almost, I'm not going to say that it needs it, Yeah. but... Yeah, to get, I mean, even just that list of names where he's like, thank you all for your stories. And you start thinking about like, 
Oh, who fuck. were you okay, talking so, to? Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, spies. You know, because the thing is, like, it's there's a sense in which it's a spy book. It's about a spy who has talked to spies. Except he gets very real about what the business of spying is. The the um the book that I quote at the beginning of Universal Harvester is a is a a, a mystery book about spies. You know, um that you know we think about spies and James. Well, James Bond is the version of a spy who hasn't actually ever murdered anybody. Right. right? What spies? Have you read Your Face Tomorrow, the Javier Marias uh, trilogy? Mm-mm. No. Oh, for the I, love of I God, really read this. I really want yeah. to. Oh, this I've is. I've never read any Marias, and I need to read that whole thing. Even though I will tell you now, the third volume is not as good as the second one. The second mm. one is so amazing that the third one really can't live up to it. You okay. Know? Uh, but you still have to read it. But uh, but but I mean, it's it's the same sort of thing where it's like the weight of of the work. You know, mm. is brought to bear. It's not as heavy as this, where you understand like anybody in this world has blood on his hands, yeah. right? Real, actual human blood, right? People whose children were left orphaned or who also were murdered, you know, mm. and stuff like that. Whereas in most spy books, we elide that for the for the fun and the romance. Right, it's for the fun, and he gets the girl, and yeah, that's you know, and maybe some bad guys die. Well, <laughs> what what are bad guys? Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that uh, I mean, that's. That could be the um, the subtitle of Zone. Yeah. Zone. What are bad guys? Are bad? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Before we wrap up completely, I just want to say uh, to the people out there um, that we uh, thank you for joining us and also that we really appreciate when you go on our Patreon dot com slash smdb and pledge money for us and contribute to the show or you write us a review on the itunes or you tweet at us yeah we like email it all. us we yell like being at us. contacted by the folks that say that they liked a book that we recommended or they didn't like or one they didn't or like a book yeah. any any of that stuff is fun for us and also just uh john thank you yeah oh, thank you my pleasure so much yeah, of this course such a pleasure it's a good yeah, time this and uh universal harvester is an excellent novel and wolf and white van is also i haven't stopped thinking about it since i read it so thank you yeah and uh and, it yeah. has been translated into a few that's pretty exciting when that happens oh hey, that is cool. exciting. the german version just came out and they gave it a really good review in the pseudo hsi i was really excited so. oh cool. cool wow congratulations thank that's you great. they call it recorder over oh no they're calling universal harvester recorder over there that's right yeah mm. hmm. all right that must be interesting seeing what the title changes to. Yeah, well, usually they keep uh, the Wolf and White Van, they kept it for most everything. I think in France they wanted to call it Reverse Grooves, and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So I argued, and then they called it Wolf and White Van in France. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Wolf and White Van is like, like uh, Wolf in White Van strikes you as a phrase because it doesn't have any articles. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And uh, well, you can't do that in romance languages. It's it's la lobo en la camioneta blanca, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that's different. El or el lobo en la camioneta blanca. So uh, so it's different, but you can't do that. You can't lobo en camioneta blanca is meaningless. Right. <laughs> Not wolf in white van is English doesn't do meaninglessness that way. So so mm. that was re- recorder when the when the Germans pitched that one I liked it. So Oh, wow. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. All right. I don't, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be uh, reading another book. Yeah. There are always <laughs> there so are many damn, damn books. books. There's so many damn books. <laughs> Woo! All right. Peace. We worked in it. <laughs>